founders fall in love with their product, but then you have to be stubborn enough to go for your idea and be flexible enough to change it because it ends up being something totally different sometimes. The Startup Sensations podcast. First-hand accounts of the real stories behind the successes, challenges, and opportunities of starting and growing a startup company. From both sides of the pond, with Bulent Osman and Shelley Bays. And welcome back to another absolutely fascinating episode of the Startup Sensations podcast uh, with me, Belen Osman from just outside London here in the UK. And me, Shelley Bays, on the normally sunny Northern California coast, where it's foggy again today. And today we've got two guests joining us. It's two founders who have got a, a very interesting tale to tell. Yeah, these are people that you know and uh, you've interacted with over a number of years and watched uh, their success. So um, this should be very, very interesting to hear about, as you say, founders who have founded and grown a company in a country not their own. We're about to speak with uh, Paula and Jorge. And Paula and Jorge are from Buenos Aires in Argentina. And in fact, uh, they'll be joining us shortly from Argentina. But I met them first uh, about um, 12 years ago in London. Initially, I met Paula, uh, who uh, was selling a software solution that she brought to market originally from Argentina, but brought it to the UK and was using the UK as a base to sell it. At that time, I was selling a rival software solution. And a few years later, we managed in a different environment to meet again, and also uh, with Jorge as well. So I'm really looking forward to meeting them again. It's been a while since I've met both of them or seen both of them. And I'm delighted to welcome two very special guests that are speaking to us all the way from Buenos Aires in Argentina. Please welcome Jorge Hansen and Paula Espana. Hello both. How are you? Hello, Bulent. We're very excited to be in, in sort of sensations today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we really appreciate your time. And uh, it's, it's lovely to see you again. It's been a while since uh, the last time we met. And we're truly international today. Uh, Europe, North America and South America all joined. We're about four hours uh, from you guys in Argentina here in California and then another eight hours over to Belen. So, yeah. Definitely international today. Kind of fun. I'd, I'd like to kick off for our listeners, uh, maybe to start off with uh, Jorge, if you would just explain what you're currently doing, what are the, the projects that you're involved with, what, what, what's keeping you busy these days in, uh, in Argentina? I basically have two activities. One of them is to be an angel investor in some, some companies, which I tend, to, I tend to invest and look at B2B SaaS companies enterprise kind of, of, of businesses. So really, you know, um, investing in companies that, that have a relatively high ticket to with their customers and are more of a consultative type of sell, which is where I think I have more experience. Uh, and on the set, on my second uh, set of, of, of activities, it's more related to mentoring some companies which with similar characteristics and that have gone through a similar journey to to one I did, but are perhaps a, a, a few years uh, behind, and and I can I can be of some help. And Paula, uh, what about yourself? 
Yeah, so well, it's very, very similar. I'm also being an angel investor in some uh, investment, but mainly companies that are focused in sustainable innovation. After Baxon, I have been focusing more in uh, sustainability. That's one of my passions. And I'm also part of the Global Entrepreneur Program. That's a program from the UK government that looks for talent. Uh, in different places of the world, I'm more focused in Ibero-America, all the countries that speak Spanish and Portuguese, so that they can uh, use the UK as a platform to internationalize their companies, as we have done with George with Baxon. And, and talking of Baxon, Paula, I mean, you and I first met a long time ago, probably 12, 13, maybe 14 years ago. And my memory of that was that I was taking a, a video at an event where you were presenting your software, you had a stand, and I was representing another company. So in those days, you, you were based in London, and you were promoting and selling your solution for Baxon. So just explain what the company did, what your solution was at the time. And I'm really interested to hear your journey from Argentina to the UK. Yes, well, thank you. Yes, I remember you were uh, you were on the opposite side of the street and we didn't like to have you on the opposite side of the table. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, we were we founded our company uh, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, but it was a platform for private equity and venture capital firms to streamline the collection of the information from their portfolio companies and do their internal monitoring and reporting and also run the evaluations. And the last thing that we developed was an ESG module so that they could put numbers to their ESG initiatives. We started with that, uh, well, with the company long ago, it was around 20, uh, 2008, and then with the ESG model in 2012, when it was super early days. And uh, basically, as I, as I said, we started the company in Argentina, but it wasn't the ideal place to, to have a, a software for private equity. So sometime later, we, we moved to the UK, we moved our, uh, all the company the headquarters, uh, except the development center, the development center, a part of the consulting team that was, that uh, remained here in Argentina. So Jorge, what happened at that time? If you go back to 2008, 2009, uh, how did you end up deciding to move to London? That's a big move, isn't it? And probably fraught with a number of challenges, a few risks, etc. So just take us through your thinking and, and what happened when you came to the UK. I used, uh, I worked for 10 years in a private equity buyout firm in, in South America. Um, and after the crisis in 2001, basically the, the entire industry was wiped out. So there were not too many opportunities to, to you know, carry on working on, in, in, in that industry. So at that point, the dilemma was really whether to move from Argentina or start something new. So the idea was to create this platform that didn't exist at that moment. There wasn't something that was doing exactly what Paul had described. At the beginning, it was really hard sell because of three reasons. First, it was a new concept that didn't exist. There were private equity vendors, but none addressing that specific point. Secondly, we were, we were selling a software as a service product. In, in, so it meant that the data, the very delicate and, and private data was hosted out from the, our client's network. And third, we were coming from Argentina. So it wasn't an, an, an easy decision to, to, to buy something like this. So at the beginning, we kept on traveling a lot to London until it really made sense to say, we need to we really need to make the move of moving 
there and, and being there, you know, um, just the fact that perhaps a prophet would say, perhaps we, yes, I'm interested, but I would like to, to meet you next week. And that was such a complicated move from an artistic perspective to move from Buenos Aires to London to meet for one meeting in, in, in one week's time. So, so I think that naturally there was a point in where it, it really made sense to, 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 to move to London. Well, London, London also is sort of, and especially at that time, considered the, the financial hub capital of the world from that standpoint as well in private equity, you know, that was also the place to be, I would assume. Yes, it was. And it was, as, as you said, it was a center, but also it was geographically uh, very convenient because opposite to the US, where it is a bigger country, uh, we had most of the funds in London, based in London. Also, they were, if we were based there, they were half an hour away. Uh, whilst in the US, we had the opportunity to be either in New York, in the West Coast, kind of more centers. So it made uh, sense from many different perspectives. Also, we were addressing uh, other markets and it was in the middle in terms of time zone. We could be serving the Middle East as well as the US and Europe, besides the fact that we liked it a lot. <laughs> so as entrepreneurs, what did you find were the key challenges, you know, moving to a different country and trying to sell your solution in a different market? And how did you overcome them? What were some of the surprising things that you found? What were some of the maybe easier things that you found? No, I would say I was surprised to see how easy it was to start doing business in in the UK. Perhaps because we were coming from a country that is quite complicated in terms of bureaucracy. And so we found the UK to be extremely friendly, open-minded, and open to new ideas, so that was that was really a very positive uh, surprise. We also had to learn to develop our business in a different environment, and also to be the link between our UK and our Argentinian teams, because it was a different in in culture, but mainly uh, in the way of doing things at work, no, and the speed. The speed of development was also something that we we had to uh, bridge that gap. So tell me a little bit about what you found when you finally moved to the UK, because it's different being a visitor versus living there culturally. Because I remember I went to the UK first as a student and I had preconceived notions and some of them were true and some of them were not true. And there were just funny things that I learned about the culture. It was, it was a lovely experience. Yes, I think that I had the expectation that people were going to be socially uh, more close and that it would have been uh, more difficult. Uh, compared to Argentina, perhaps that we are very extroverted, it took more time than being here. But once you become friends, culturally, we are not that different, no? It was a, an excellent time in my life uh, that I still miss a lot. It became home. I, when I went, uh, we were supposed to go for three months initially. That finally ended up being a bit more than seven years. <laughs> and um, yes, <laughs> and it was a, a slow process because, well, we went to test, and the test lasted longer, and it became home, really, because after you, you get, it takes time, it took time, but uh, living, really, the culture, 
shapes you as well. It's like you you go with all your uh, your background and your your luggage, and then you start also changing. And I have changed a lot during those years, and I I feel that it is really now my second home. Uh, Jorge, could you just take us through the process of building the company through to an exit? I mean, you, you both are exited founders. That's a wonderful badge and a wonderful part of your experience. And it's what a lot of startup founders aspire to be, to be exited founders, and then hopefully move on to maybe a new venture. So can you take us through your journey of exit uh, through Bax and how difficult was it? What were some of the problems? How did you overcome them? What did you learn from that experience that you can share with other founders listening to the show? Um, I would say our journey was perhaps not the traditional route, we got to a point where we were really considering racing around with traditional VCs or partnering with a strategic investor. And at that stage, we already had a new competitor that was basically doing what we had started uh, based in the US that had raised considerable amount of money and, and was ahead of us in, in, many, in many regards. So we thought that, you know, if, if we had a, a check, a considerable, I mean, a check that would be considerable for us, we wouldn't have the speed of execution to be able to get to that level as fast as we had the time to do it. So it made sense to find a shortcut partnering with a company that already had many of the things we needed, namely offices in different parts of the world, such as the Western East Coast of, of the U.S., Southeast Asia. So partnering with Prequin, which was the, the company we partnered with, makes a lot of sense for us because all those things were already there. We didn't have to, you know, spend time opening those offices, hiring all those people. They were already there. And Prequin was very generous in sharing those facilities, but not, not just the facilities, but also a lot of the people we hired were already good salespeople, already proven by Prequin that were willing to jump to this other business, which for them was, you know, different and perhaps exciting. It was a, a way of taking a, a leap in terms of, of time or perhaps saving a couple of years of development by partnering with them. And just on that point, Paula, what was your experience with the process of the acquisition and what was life like after that point for those few years thereafter? That's an interesting uh, process uh, where obviously you have lots of feelings involved because it is on one hand like your baby because it's a company that you created from the very beginning where we poured our soul, both of us, in it. But we also had to be pragmatic and see what was more convenient uh, for for the company, for our lives. So it was a, a difficult balance and it was a lot of work. Always it is more work than you expect. <laughs> you never know what you are facing when you start, fortunately. So we were very ignorant, fortunately, at that moment, even though we knew Sometimes knowing, but when you're far away, it is different than going and being there and realizing what does it mean to be that size of company. So, uh, but then you're there and you have to swim or drown. So it was great. And we had a lot of passion, but a lot of very hard work. I can't, uh, I can't believe that we did all the things that we did. I would, 
I don't know if I would have the energy to do so many things at the same time today, no? It was very interesting also, well, when, when we started with pre-queen, uh, we learned totally different things. And also to know, because uh, when you're an entrepreneur, at least we are interested or we feel thrilled about creating things and starting up things. It is not the same skill set that you have to have when the company is already more mature and you have to do other type of things. I wasn't very fond of, I knew this needed to be done, but it didn't wake me up in the morning to say, oh, I'm going to, <laughs> to back some today. So I think it was a perfect time uh, where we could stay because our partner uh, was very open and we had a, a very good relationship with them. But you have to analyze also what you want in your life and what's best for you and not fall in love with the deal. And it was, I think, the correct decision. Okay, can I move on and ask you about um, investment? So I'm sure you advise a lot of your current connections and maybe uh, your mentees around how to raise money. Uh, how do you think it's changed in the last sort of five to 10 years, the act of fundraising and closing some investment in a startup? Is it more difficult now than it used to be? And what's the best way of going about it? First, firstly, I would say that obviously there has been different cycles in, during those years, you know, and it's perhaps a little bit more challenging now than it was one or two years ago. But looking at it from a longer term, tools are much more available now than they were to 10 years ago to set up a world-class deck for investors. The knowledge base is so much spread and so much available. If, if you spend enough time Googling it and, and, and searching for it, you can find most of the things you need. So that makes it from that sense easier, but also obviously more competitive because there's, there are many other companies doing exactly the same thing. And, and typically investors, what are the main things they're looking for to help them decide which companies to speak to and, and, and take things further versus companies that they just maybe have a quick look at and dismiss early on? I can speak for myself. I'm, firstly, I, I need to understand what the business does. Um, that, that's, that's like a first go, no go type of, of decision. And then go specifically into, into really liking the team and, and I think that the team can, can execute and can go through the ordeal that Paula described. And also a, a, an important solution. I mean, a, something that is meaningful in terms of disruption or, or of benefit. So it's a combination of, of a few things, but I would say that the team is, is crucial. You know that the plan they are presenting to you is not the plan in two or three years, <laughs> but you need a team that will be able to adapt to that you know, and, and perhaps ha has already some experience in, in that sense. And, and Paula, I, I know that you, uh, you also mentor various people and founders. What typical mistakes do founders make in their journeys that you advise them against and try to improve what they do? What, what, what are some of the problems and the issues that you see some of the problems I see are the founders team. Sometimes uh, they do not have the same objectives. And in some cases, you can see that from a very, very early stage. Sometimes they do not test things in the market. It's like we say they think things in the laboratory, but then you have to be stubborn enough to go for your idea, but open enough to listen to the market and listen, understand what's the real need, because it's typical that they fall in love with their product, 
with their science and they cannot see uh, that the market uh, needs something much easier and, or that they are explaining it in a too complicated way. So we work a lot in kind of extracting the essence of what's the message, what is the product. We do the acid test of, okay, is this what the market is really needing? Are they going to pay for it? Are they really willing to pay for it? And be flexible enough and open enough to change it because you will have to change it many, many times. It is an iterative process. You start with one idea and then it ends up being something totally different sometimes. So it is the team and uh, also the advisory board and how you have that advisory board aligned. So if they are aligned, they will be there for the long term. So that for me is very important as well. I don't want to see a nice presentation. I want to really understand what they are doing even though sometimes I do not understand the science fully, uh, I talk with other advisors to really understand if it makes sense. So sustainability is such a hot topic today, but it's such a complex one because truly creating a world that is sustainable goes against a lot of self-interests of what's out there today. To me, it's a, it's a really important topic and it's so frustrating to see very good ideas uh, just kind of hit a brick wall. So, you know, how do you advise companies or what do you see happening? Am I being a little bit too negative in my description? Is it getting better? No, not at all. I think that you're being very realistic in your description. Unfortunately. Yes, and it's different. But I, many times I think that it has to be a business. It has to be the real triple impact, no? It has to have a financial impact. Otherwise, it's not going to be a business. It's going to be an NGO, a charity, or something different. So this is not philanthropy. This is impact investment. Capitalism. Yes, capitalism. Yes. (laughs) But with the borders of ESG or sustainability, you name it different ways. But basically, it has to be a business that is sustainable from a social, environmental perspective, but also from a financial perspective, Mm -hmm. so that there is a business. So for now, at least for now, uh, that is kind of my criteria to see if I could invest in that or not. Also, if I believe that the company can be really a company that can be successful. Otherwise, it can be very nice, very romantic idea, but it's not going to happen. And basically, there are so many people that are trying to benefit from that, unfortunately, that sometimes they make the environment a bit muddy. <laughs> That's polite. Yeah. That's very polite. <laughs> I'm trying to be. <laughs> but uh, we have to have use our common sense and see if we really think this is something that will make impact, what type of impact, measure that, and also be a business. No? Do you see any of the larger corporations taking a look at smaller startups. You know, I I was thinking of the whole banking and finance industry and the way that they evolved rapidly was by buying fintechs. You know, the process of redoing all of their legacy systems, et cetera, was, was enormous. So, you know, they would go out and look for fintechs or innovative companies in finance. Do you see that happening at all in this uh, sustainability uh, sector? Yes, uh, fortunately, yes, uh, it's challenging. Um, obviously, uh, big companies or corporations have their uh, innovation department, but they have different objectives. So the trend is that they go for startups 
to accelerate their uh, innovation process, which is great. And I am seeing this uh, quite a lot, especially in the in the sectors that I am more involved. The challenge is how they make the new technologies or scalable fast enough to be able to serve a corporation that perhaps has already a size that it is very complicated for a startups. But fortunately, I'm seeing, in fact, I am in the sustainability board of a corporation where one of our objectives is to involve uh, entrepreneurs and uh, new companies uh, in, in this process, no? because this will hit not only uh, the environmental factor, but also the social factor. But when we analyze companies, we are facing that challenge that the company, even though it has a very nice, interesting and new technology, it is not scalable enough and it will still take time to be there to be able to address the demand of the corporation. But well, it's a nice challenge to have. Jorge, can I ask you about... uh... How optimistic you are about the future and, and specifically around what Paula was just saying about this whole area of sustainability. Massive challenges exist, obviously worldwide, but are you positive about the future uh, in this area? And, and what role does AI play in that? Is it a force for good or could it be a big challenge or maybe it's both? Um, I think there are, this, these are new opportunities um, it's creating a new challenges, but also new new markets, new drivers for growth, for innovation. It is really, I think, a win-win situation. The planet will benefit, but also investors will benefit. So I'm very optimistic that you know the market will find the way to meet expectations from the two sides: the demand for for a sustainable world, but also financial returns that can attract the necessary resources to those enterprises. And, and we're seeing that happening. So so I'm very optimistic, and I think that AI is definitely going to be positive for, for humanity. I, I don't believe in too much in those predictions of AI taking, taking over the world, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you, Jorge, on um, how you source deals today. You know, we all we all know that former entrepreneurs make some of the best investors for current entrepreneurs because there's understanding, there's having been through it. But how do you find companies? Do you just look locally? Do you throw the the web really broad and look, you know, internationally? And if so, how do you do that? Well, I would say it's a combination of different sources. Some really are, are sourced by well, we, we to, to go with Paula, we work a lot on that, and she has a, a, a fantastic network through the UK government program that is uh, attracting uh, companies from all over the world to, to the UK. Okay. And so, so we come across really interesting teams and ideas. But some, in, in our cases, it's re- really re- referrals from other companies where we are already mentors and we get companies that have already done through the first stages and are already, you know, more in the scale-up stage. Yes, it's different sources of deals. What we really try to avoid is, you know, looking at hundreds of pitches and trying to do the first filtering ourselves because it's so demanding and, and, and sometimes so inefficient as well. We ba- we're based our decisions a lot 
in peers, in what other people are, are looking at and are thinking, and, and we share our notes. Uh, we try to sort of move a little bit like a club in, 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 in a sense. I'd just like to finish with just a couple of quick questions. Paula, let me start with you. What two or three things do you miss most about the UK? And what one thing you definitely do not miss about the UK? The, the thing that I do not miss, you know what it is, the weather. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I, but I, to be honest, I got used to it. So when I was uh, the first year in Argentina, I felt all the time that it was too sunny and I couldn't open my eyes properly. <laughs> So somehow I got used to it. The things that I miss is, uh, well, I miss uh, my home over there, my life over there. Uh, Wimbledon, I specifically miss my my place, uh, my friends. Also, London in general, or being able to, to travel during the weekends, uh, going to the countryside, which I really loved. That sense of possibility, that feeling of everything is possible. Whatever you do, everything is possible. I always had that feeling or, or still have that feeling in England. And sometimes here in Argentina, uh, even though I love my country, it's very challenging because it's complicated. You can do things, but it's complicated. So I miss that a lot. And the last thing is being close to everywhere. We are here 14 hours from every, everywhere. In UK, it is just in one hour, you're in a totally different place, different language, different food, different culture. So that's, uh, I also miss that a lot. And Jorge, anything more to add to that? I'm sure the weather also is probably one of your least favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got quite used to it and I really don't like hot weather, warm weather. So so I was quite comfortable in, in London. I know I, I do miss a lot of living in London, uh, close to Europe, and also obviously the British sense of humor is, is something that I always enjoyed. And on that very intelligent point and very well made, um, <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you to you both uh, very much for joining us from Argentina. Uh, it's lovely to see you again, Paula. Absolutely brilliant to see you again, Jorge. Thank you for sharing all of your stories. And uh, look, I mean, we look forward to, I look forward to seeing you again in the UK at some point. Yes, thank you very much. It was a wonderful chat and hope to see you soon. Brilliant. Thank you again for inviting us. Very nice to meet you, Shelley. And well, thank you. Nice to meet you both. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, Shelley, for me, it was great to see Paula and Jorge again. It's been a while since I last saw them. Uh, obviously, then they're now back in Argentina, and I used to meet up with them here in the UK. Well, it was a delightful conversation. And um, w what I loved is, I think it was Paula at the beginning saying, you know, it was actually easy to do business in the UK, which is a pleasure to hear because you always wonder how someone from as far away as South America is going to feel. Um, and she commented on a number of positive things. So I think they both left their experience from a cultural standpoint in the UK with good feelings. She said, you know, friendships formed then have lasted. Uh, there were really good things about living somewhere very different that they took away and enjoyed. Um, so it was a real vote of confidence for leaving one's country and moving to the UK and uh, starting something new. So, yeah, I found that very, very charming, 
actually. So tell me a little more about their company and what they did. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. So I, I first met Paula many, many years ago, probably over a decade ago when she was at Baxon Software and it was, a, it was at a trade show and I was on a separate stand. So we were competing. I was in, still in the corporate world at that point in time before uh, I set up my own company. And um, so we had a bit of a chit chat and she had a good product and so did I. And obviously that little bit of friendly rivalry uh, stepped in. And um, and then I didn't see her for a while. And then I bumped into her again a few years ago, a few years later, rather, uh, at, a, at another event. And we got we got chatting. And then she told me about how she sold the company, which is really interesting. And it was interesting in the conversation, wasn't it, earlier on, Shelley, when they were talking about selling the company and how... You know, it was an emotional moment for them. And uh, obviously it was their baby and they'd been working on it for such a long time. And you've been through this. So, you know, what she she highlighted was something you must have felt, this balance between the emotional elements and the very necessary hard work. How, how did it feel for you? Well, it was a challenge for me as well. I mean, uh, having put so much time, effort, blood, sweat and tears over many years into it, I still had a certain vision of how I would like it to grow. But of course, as soon as you pass over control, then things change and people people have got different views and they want to do different things. And I think for Paul and Jorge, it was even more challenging as well because they had started the company up in Argentina, their homeland. They'd grown it in Europe, uh, being based in the UK. And then obviously then selling it, it, it probably was a a bigger wrench for them emotionally. But clearly it was a good decision at the end of the day because it propelled them for their more recent journey that they've been on. As you've picked up from the conversation, they're both lovely people with a great sense of professionalism, integrity, and huge amounts of experience and knowledge that they've picked up, especially living in a foreign country, as you did, Shelley, um, coming from the US, you lived in the UK as well for a part. I think it was a bigger a bigger change from the, for them because, well, I don't know whose language was harder to go from Argentina to the UK or US to the UK. <laughs> but, you know, they're still active even at this stage, which I think is wonderful. You know, so they're both angel investors. They're both still mentoring to a certain degree. Um, and it was, it was kind of interesting to ask Jorge what he looks for in terms of investments, because we've talked to VCs who have a certain kind of um, formula, if you will. Um, and he said the things that you want to hear. He said, first of all, you have to understand the business. It has to be a business and you have to understand it. Because remember, angel investing is very, very early stage. So some of this stuff is sort of concept only uh, so you have to understand, is it, does it have the potential to be a business? And he said, which I'm always happy to hear people say, it's the team, you know, it's the team, stupid, it's the team. So he emphasized that. And um, he also threw in something interesting, which is this concept of disruption. I always find that idea very interesting because I know what he means, disruption in a positive sense. But you see a lot of companies that come forward and say, oh, I'm disrupting. Well, so what if it's not going to be a real business? So I felt he was spot on in uh, in those things. And she's very interested in sustainability now, is my understanding. Yes, exactly. And, and, and you know, for the last six years or so, she's been working for the Department of International Trade, the D, DIT here in the UK. 
as an ambassador for a number of sectors, including the whole area of sustainability, innovation, uh, food tech, etc. And so she's got a, a wide range of interests and obviously a lot of experience in those areas and clearly provides an international flavor to some of those issues. Yeah, very pragmatic take also on this concept of sustainability, which can get kind of airy-fairy if, you know, if one isn't careful. Uh, but she said, you know, it has to be a business. Again, it has to be a business and it has to be scalable. And that kind of common sense applied to a topic, a very important topic like sustainability, I think I always love to hear. So yeah, good for her. It was a it was a delightful conversation. I'd love to meet them in person one day. Well, hopefully they'll come back to the UK soon and we can and we can meet up with them uh, or perhaps pay you a visit in, in Northern California so you can meet with them. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Startup Sensations. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Follow us on the Startup Sensations podcast LinkedIn page and watch video highlights on our YouTube channel. Get in touch with us. Email hello at startupsensations.com. The Startup Sensations podcast.